independent, expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, we are very happy to have Laura Warshower. It is said that you can take the measure of a person by the company they keep. And if this adage holds water, then Laura Warshower is an extremely talented young woman. Her list of cronies includes Uber drummer Kenny Aronoff and Roy Bitten of Bruce Springsteen's venerable East Street Band, as well as a cadre of other well-respected musicians and music producers. She can also list the Prince of Wales and his lovely bride Kate Middleton as friends from her college days at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. And since those halcyon days, Warshower has been burning up stages around the world with her powerful voice that belies her diminutive stature. In 2010, BMI and the Songwriters Hall of Fame awarded her the inaugural Holly Prize. Her first album, The Pink Chariot Mixtape, was released in 2011, and she spent part of 2012 touring with Austin's favorite acoustic and funky stalwart, Bob Schneider. Warshower is most certainly on her way. Welcome to Independence Day, Laura Warshower. Thank you so much, Joe. I'm, I am thrilled to be here. I'm glad. Thrilled is a very, very good thing, but you're not alone. I am not. You have I a wingman. Very a, a wing woman. A wing woman, as it were. Who is your wing woman here? I am very lucky to be joined by Kiara Anna Perico. Hello. And these are two East Coast girls here with us on the West they Coast. Are. One of which lives here, but we're going to talk about that in just a little while. Um, so you have you have one record to your name so far. Yes. This record is the Pink Chariot mixtape. Came out just last year. And what have you? You've been very busy since this time. What have you been doing? It's been an exciting time. Just got back from my first national tour, as you mentioned. Got the opportunity to open up for Bob Schneider. The, bo- the Bob Schneider. The Austin's Bob favorite. Schneider. He's just amazing and, you know, an inspiration. It's really cool to get the opportunity to open up for an artist that you have so much yeah. respect for. Yes. And that night after night, you know, you love getting to see their performances, get to know their music better. And I really took a lot away from that experience. Kiara was on tour as well, would you say? What would you say, Kiara? Pretty inspiring, right? It was incredible. Um, Each night was amazing to watch Bob's show because, as all of you uh, know who know him and his performance, no two performances are the same. Yeah, he's a great showman. Incredible. He really knows his way around, like how to work an audience, how to work Mm -hmm. a room. Mm -hmm. How I'm curious. I mean, we'll we'll get. And it was really cool too because. I mean, I would watch it as part of the audience. So I would be hanging out with people in the audience watching right. him. And so, you know, we would be talking about his performance and yeah, like yeah. our performance before his. And it was it was super cool. And how big, I mean, we'll talk, I, mean, I don't mean to go off on the Bob Schneider tangent, but that's kind of no, our point of No, let's go off on a Bob Schneider <laughs> tangent. Uh, let's he, talk about uh, Bob. He, uh, he's so like pleasantly weird, you know, oh, I think yeah. in, in the coolest way imaginable, you know. <laughs> he's just funky. Like he's like a funky folky guy, you know, but you never know what he's going to do. Like his first single, I remember, was uh, uh, Big, Big Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea, yeah. something like that, from yeah, back in the '90s, and it, like he did this like Tom Waits kind of thing yeah. for a while, yeah. and and but so but but his thing is like how I'm curious, what was his band lineup when you were out with him? Because when I saw him in Austin, oh. he had like a ten piece band with no. horns and yeah, all this right. other stuff. What did he take on the road this time? It was a total. It was five pieces, right? okay. including yeah. including Bob. Yeah, and just um, well, amazing musicians, amazing guys that have played with him for. Most of them have played with him for a really long time. And it was, you know, incredible. It was like a real deal rock and roll show. Yeah. You know, yeah. well, drums, he had bass, his... guitar, right. keys, 
Well, Ollie plays everything. Yeah. Ollie Stack. Yeah. Who plays trumpet. Do you still have the curly-haired bass player guy? Yeah, he's Bruce. Been with him. He's been with, yeah, Bruce. He's Bruce. been with him since the dawn of mm-hmm. time. Bruce Hughes. Yep, Bruce, Bruce Hughes. Hughes. I've, met, I've met Mr. Hughes and, um, once upon a time. Actually, what was I thought was super cool is that the first three shows we did, uh, Bob played them solo. So oh, he was cool. playing 900 instruments, which okay. was very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen Bob in a while. I saw him in Chicago, and then in Austin, I think, was the last time I saw him, which is yeah. great. It's, I think it's fantastic to see any band in their hometown. You know, especially, you know, when, when there gets to be a really big artist. Like, I've seen Tom Petty here at the Hollywood Bowl, and this is, you know, ostensibly his hometown. And that's, you know, there's a hometown feel, but it's different when you're playing the bowl, and there's sure. thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people there. But when you're at, a, at the level that Bob plays, and you're playing, like, theaters, that kind of thing, like, I think you can, you can, you relate to the audience a little more. And you Definitely. see an audience or an artist of that level in their hometown, I think, is a really special thing. It was, it's very cool. When I, I was in Austin for South by Southwest and I got the opportunity to see two Saxon pub shows, uh-huh. which was just really special. And while on tour, Bob actually called me up on stage oh, cool. to sing with him and had Kiara come up to play, to do a viola. It was like, what was that? It was he a. called it Dueling Violins. Yeah. <laughs> it was in yeah. Minneapolis. Um, and it was, you know, it just incredible to actually get to feel the energy yeah, yeah. of his shows and his audience while on stage with him. And that yeah, was yeah. that was pretty. pretty yeah, and his show really is about energy. Oh, yeah. You know, like for being such a laid back guy, he's kind of intense in a, in a strange. He's like a man. He's of, the most intense. Yeah, he's like a man of. Um, he's kind of balanced. He, the yin and the yang, the, the Bob <laughs> Schneider yes. to me. You know, because he's so like when I've, when I've talked to him, he's like, yeah, man, he's really laid back. But then. Yeah. Like, he's not all at the same time. I think that sort of, like, unpredictability yeah. is what, you know, audiences find so fascinating. And, yeah. you know, knowing him as a as a person and as an artist, I think there's that excitement yeah. level. Anyway, believe it or not, this is not the Bob Schneider show. This is actually your show. Oh, we could do that quite show. successfully, couldn't we? Anyway, we could. I mean, we all love Bob. But let's, let's leave Bob. Let's talk, okay. let's Bye, talk Bob. about you. Awesome. Let's talk um, about you. All right. You're a Jersey girl. I am a Jersey girl. Yeah, but you've been out here now, you said, how long? I've been out here for about a year and a half. And what brought you to Los Angeles? Well, I'm lucky to work with two incredible managers. Their names are Scott Ross and Paul Fishkin. Both of them have been in the music business for 30 plus years. And when I connected with them, I started spending more and more time in, in L.A. and then got an opportunity to work with Tom Panunzio, who's an incredible producer and and been in the studio with everyone from Bruce Springsteen to Stevie Nicks to Patti Smith, a lot of the icons that I that have made me want to do music in the first place. So the opportunity to work with Tom and to, you know, have such a great team and Scott and Paul made me finally, you know, made this Jersey girl head west. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you actually Kiara, yes. you told me a little secret. You're, is, is it? Can we talk <laughs> about where you're moving? That you're moving? Do people know uh, this? Yeah, yeah. People are starting to find out. Okay. I keep forgetting who I've told, but I okay. am moving to Los Angeles so the cat's in out of the early bag. September of 2012. And that's the time to get out, though, because the fall's coming. It's, fi- it's happening. Officially. I have another friend I've been trying to talk into moving out here for years, and he always talks about moving out oh. here in the spring. I'm like, no, don't leave. No, no. Don't leave back east in the spring yeah. when you're missing like the yeah. only time that it's good to actually be there. I'll get him out here. Yeah. All right. Well, well I'll, I'll give we'll you his phone number. Okay. We'll are on the job. Yeah. yeah. I'm All right. On it. Yeah. And if anyone could do it, you could. Yeah. Definitely. You're both. You're both uh, um, Italian, so what? that we well, can work that. Yeah. All right. We'll work that angle. All right. <laughs> First, let's play some music here. This Great. is this is from the. This is actually a new song, right? This is an unreleased track. This is the very first time it's ever being played to right. the public Ooh. audience. World premiere of Laura Warshower's new music. This is a track called "Running from the Grave." Tell me just a little bit about this, and we'll hear it. 
This is an exciting song because it marks a new collaboration with a producer and writer. His name is PJ Bianco, and he is someone that I just connected with a few months ago at Sunset Sessions, which is an industry event um, in San Diego, and we, Kiara and I got to perform there. Met PJ backstage. He was with another artist, LP, who's an incredible artist. Is that the LP from Cracker LP? From Cracker LP. There's a girl named LP who sings with Cracker, or did for a while, like a few years ago. Um, really husky, like Janis Joplin kind of voice. Curly hair. I don't. I have no idea what she looks like. But well, I mean, LP has an amazing voice, and there is there is a certain huskiness. It's almost like you know Janis Joplin meets Jeff I'm, Buckley. I bet you my life that's the same LP. Oh, LP is amazing. She's incredible, and it's interesting. LP, Lady Gaga, and myself, we all have a shared history of being signed by LA Reid. Okay. And we were all signed and dropped by LA Reid around okay. the same time. Lady Gaga has made history. LP um, is about to, is making history. Her mm-hmm. song was on the Citibank commercial that PJ, my producer, co-wrote and produced and produced for her, um, which was like the biggest, I don't know, network TV commercial of the past year. And, and actually LP and I are going to be both performing on the same stage at Lollapalooza. So it's very funny, you know, you find that you wind up reconnecting with a lot of people, you know, as, as you move through your career. But long story short, I got to meet PJ at the Sunset Sessions. He and LP and LP's manager apparently listened to my sampler CD on their drive from San Diego back to Los Angeles. And PJ called me the next day, love my voice. You know, it was like, would love for you to come by the studio. And like a mad woman, I drove back to Los Angeles that day with that uh, sense of like. From Jersey? <laughs> San Diego. <laughs> that would have been pretty. That would actually, that would have been like a, a mad story. woman. Like a mad woman. I drove across Man. the entire, I drove 3,000 miles. Um, you are a mad woman. I had that feel, you know, when you have that feeling of like something's going to go down tonight, yeah, like yeah. something's going to happen. I went to the studio. It was a Sunday night and we created Running from the Grave that night. And I think that this really marks the the next step of where I'm going. Your evolution. Yes. As an artist. It's, it's about that, like that scrappy Jersey girl. It's a bit of that, you know, woman on the run, Bates Motel, you know, midnight drive through the desert alone with a Telecaster in the back seat. And I always say, you know, I've got a pop sensibility, but I'm much more of a rock and roll girl at heart. And I feel like this track and the song and lyrically, it, it really embodies that spirit. You're painting a nice picture. I'm very curious to hear what this is all about. And so this is the fruits of that labor. This is the track Running From Grace, Laura Warshower on Independence Day.
Laura Warshower here on Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. I come to you live from beautiful Pasadena, California, every Wednesday night. We bring you some of the finest musicians and producers and music industry folks that I can possibly find. And I've found some pretty damn good ones so far. And there's that word. We talked about the Carlin <laughs> words before, so I can say damn. In any <laughs> That's case. That's allowed. So exactly. So Laura Warshower and her sidekick, wing woman Chiara Anna Perico, <laughs> here playing the viola, which we're going to hear her play that very, very shortly here. Uh, so you come from New Jersey and you land in Los Angeles, and what's the first thing you do in L.A.? The first thing I do in L.A.? Hmm. Do you recall? Was well, it so definitely, long I mean, ago? There was, there was definitely a stop at Mel's Diner okay. pretty early on, on Sunset Boulevard. And I think that I, like any city, I'm a real, coming from the East Coast, I love to walk, like, everywhere. And L.A.'s not known to be a walking city, but I think that, you know, I've kind of made it my own walking city because that's I feel like I piece together neighborhoods and, you know, discover my haunts and really just kind of, yeah. you know, get the rhythms of the city that way. So other than, you know, stop at Mel's for a milkshake, I think I kind of found myself ambling around the streets and I was really captivated. I feel like there's a lot of magic out here in Los Angeles and in Hollywood and with the the architecture, it's very different. It's all cool. The trees are kind of like haunting and the streets like are, are winding. And it's like there's a romanticism about it that I think is every bit as real when you're out here right. as, you know, what, what's painted in the movies or what people write about. Did you get grief from folks back east? Like, cause I, I found that a lot of times when you move west, like you go to a place like Los Angeles, like people are like, oh, you've, you've gone Hollywood. Like, and I think they resent the fact that they still have to shovel snow. You know, I think that I appreciate being from New Jersey, being at, being in Hollywood. I, I think that it's interesting the perspective that people have here. They're like, oh, you're kind of, hmm, there's something a little, you know, different about you. And back east, you know, I have fun with it, particularly when I'm on stage talking about where I come from in Jersey and, and you know, in the different cities, I find that I'm able to connect with audiences and they support the fact that I'm a Jersey girl yeah. who, you know, found her way to California. And how, I mean, how has California affected your writing? I think that sort of like any place that I'm at, you know, I kind of discover that through the process. I'm constantly writing songs and I was actually just playing Kiara some of my newer songs. Um, and I think that there's you know, a certain, that kind of, that romanticism that I was talking about earlier that I found in, you know, in the streets of Los Angeles, they, that sensibility finds their way into my newer songs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How prolific are you? I am, um, I'm very prolific. I'm actually, I know we spoke about Bob Schneider earlier, but Bob invited me to be a part of his songwriting group, which he's had for 10 years. There are about 20 of us in the group, including artists like Jason Mraz and Ari Hest and Bob sends out a phrase every week and you have to write an original song with that phrase in it and send it in and it's really cool because you get to so you write a whole song based on that phrase you write a whole song okay and you can get as creative as you want with it and you can send in you know sort of really finished songs really polished songs or it can be something rough that you recorded you know on an iPhone and it's cool to hear what people are doing, and it's great because it really inspires you, you know, individually to just yeah. you feel that sense of freedom 
And I've already found that, you know, from that it kind of puts my mind in a different place because I'm writing from a, a little bit of a different perspective yeah. with, with words that I wouldn't normally use in songs. I think, it's, I think it's good to have a seed, too. Because that's the thing, like that's the thing that always strikes my songs to get to get moving. Like mm-hmm. I'll be out among the English, just doing my thing at in line at In and Out Burger, and I'll hear someone say something, you know, or I'll be at the beach or the mall or wherever, and or, and someone will say something. It'll be a phrase, and it'll kind of catch something. It'll trigger something in my head, and I'll I'll hopefully remember to write it down or record it on my phone or whatever. And then that's the seed. Like, but to get a seed from someone else, I think is a really interesting way to go about that, because then it's not just you happenstancing upon something in your life like having someone give you a seed and then work that muscle because i feel like writing is a muscle and working it out you know this has come up before ray bradbury the author who we just lost you know a few weeks ago he would get up every day of his life and write he would sit down at his typewriter it's like the first thing he did and he would just write for an hour it didn't matter if he was typing the k key over and over again which i'm sure he probably didn't because he was a brilliant writer but working that muscle i think makes it stronger just like just like a physical muscle you know writing as a, as a process absolutely mm. i think with with everything i mean i'm constantly discovering and rediscovering that in the process of you know music of of writing of being in the studio of building a live show and a band that it's that repetition that you know really helps you grow and yeah. and i've kiara and i were playing earlier mm. and i was sort of reminiscing you know months ago the very first time that we ever played together you know what that remembering that feeling and now having you know come through a national tour and done a number of performances and getting ready for Lollapalooza and to see how our chemistry has evolved you know as as players and and the way that we interpret the songs yeah it's a living, that's, that's what I love about music. It's a living, breathing art form. Like you can record something and give it to someone or sell it to someone as a recording. Like this is version A, you know, but that may not be version A. That might be version 745 because you started with version A, really, mm-hmm. you know, in your bedroom or your living room or in the bus or wherever you wrote it. And then you, it was malleable. You changed it and helped it grow and then presented it as that. But then it doesn't stop there. Like I feel like a painter, unless you're some kind of avant-garde Sidney Paul, you know, Pollock painter, uh, you uh, you create that version A, you, you sell it, but then now with you, it's still alive. Like, you take it and you perform it. Like, you're painting, you're done. You hang it in a museum. As, a, as, as music, it's living art forms. So you take it with you, and it can be different every day, different keys, different time signatures, and you can really smash it apart and put it back together as many ways as you want. I think it's fascinating. Actually, I, lo- I make a lot of references to visual art, and I've thought about that because with famous paintings, you know, it's not like you get to go watch the artist sort of repaint that night after night and there is that cool opportunity with music to go and sort of re-envision it and it's it's kind of cool to play songs that you maybe wrote a while ago and that meant something to you at the time that you wrote it and how in your your own life it can mean different things at different times yeah definitely definitely let's hear some music now Great. You know, why don't you get over? We've got uh, we've got a different setup here that you're going to walk over and do a song here. So, in the meantime, let's talk a little bit about some house cleaning stuff here on Independent Day. You can find out what we're all about by going to indepday.com. I n d e p d a y dot com. That's our web presence. You can also follow us on Twitter at tw- at uh, at Indept Day. So we tweet out all kinds of fun things about the music business, or we try to at least. You know, technology can feel like a burden sometimes, but. Uh, we try to do the best we can with it. So tonight we have the lovely, the talented Laura Warshower and 
Kiara. You, you got me spooked with this thing with your name, like not Kiara, not Kiara, whatever. Kiara, Kiara, Anna yeah. Perigo. So anyway, tell us what this, this what song is this going to be? This song is called Who I Am. Okay, so why don't we hear this? Oop, hold on one second. Technical difficulties here. Oh, there we go. All right, here we go. Rock and roll. I wish I had the big clap audience track, you know. Yeah, this is where we this is where we all said we were gonna clap. But we were discussing this before. That's that strange, awkward moment in live radio when a band, like a rockin' band, you know, plays the tune and then it stops and it's like dead silence. (laughs) You were a very warm audience. Actually, one of the TV shows we did when we were on the road. Um, we had a live audience, and we didn't know that we would have that until we got there, and it was so awesome. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, that makes such a big difference. Yeah. Again, that, that talks into that interactive thing I was mentioning before, where it's like <laughs> music is a living, breathing art form. It's interaction Absolutely. between 
you and the audience. You know, Roger Waters from Pink Floyd wrote so strongly about that. That was like in The Wall, mm-hmm. how you know they you know were a little band in the '60s playing little funny dumpy little clubs, and they got kind of really big with Dark Side of the Moon. But the bigger they got, the more disconnected they felt, and it became something that became. I mean, the, the Wall is like a cultural icon now, and for him, it was this wall between himself and the fans because they were just they were just this nameless, faceless wall of people out there. And there was a wall between him that he felt like he couldn't connect anymore. You know, and I think as artists, you know, we all want to be successful. We want to be we want to reach our audience as many people as possible and maybe change the world a little bit, hopefully for the better. But there's you get to a point where how do you maintain um, a persona big enough to fill an arena? Mm -hmm. You know, that's why the the Bruce Springsteen's of the world, the Tom Petty's of the world, the Bono's of the world, like they like Bono walks into an arena and he can fill it. You know, I mean, there's like a, it's a cult of personality, I think. Yeah. And the, I mean, the songs, I think the songs yeah. really are just telling so many people's stories. I mean, at, at a U2 concert or Springsteen concert, people say it's like going to church. Right. And I know being in those audiences, you feel this strong sense of community amongst the people who are right around you and you're, you were strangers when you, when you walked in. Right. And by the end of the show, somehow, you know, the arms are around each other and especially when you're standing yeah. You know, in that in that pit area that's sort of close to the stage. Yeah, and the, the funny moment for me, too, I'm, I'm so sorry to interrupt, is like no, when no. I've gone to see artists. Um, I'm a big Tom Waits fan, and I went to go see Tom Waits for the first time I've ever seen him. And it was like, uh, like he's kind of a cultish artist. So when I went to see him, it was strange to, like, see these people and go, oh, okay, so this is what Tom Waits fans look like. I know we're out there because, you know, hundreds of thousands of times, millions of people have bought his albums over the years. But... I don't know what they look like because in my circle of friends, it's like my little cadre of friends are the only ones who I know that like Tom Waits. Like I've played them for countless girlfriends and they're like, what is that crazy guy? What's wrong with that guy? They don't like it, you know, but uh, it's interesting to like to, to find that sense of community. Definitely. You know? So how do you I'm so, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. No, I was just going to say, going along what you're saying, I feel like it celebrates the, you know, the individual and also the collective spirit. That's what music touches upon. Yeah. And so how do you, like, how do you interact with your fans? You know, you've you've got fans out there in the world, you know, you've got so many opportunities and so many avenues to do this. Like, what, how do you go about it? I have to say, I'm a a real in-person kind of a girl. My favorite way to interact with my fans is at shows. It's... You know, seeing people's faces while I'm on stage, actually being able to engage people while I'm on stage. You know, people reach out to, like, touch your hand, and it's it's so cool, that feeling to, you know, to go and embrace people in that, you know, when you're actually, like, looking at their faces from the stage, and then afterwards to feel their excitement level and that energy, there's just nothing like it. So do you, I mean, is this, like, a merch table situation, or do you just kind of go hang out? in the audience after the show? I mean, you're obviously at the level where you can do that. Like, Tom Petty can't do that. Well, it's, um, you know, a combination. You have meet and greets okay. or, you you know, you're at the merch table. And it was, it was great because on this national tour, we were actually getting up in front of audiences that weren't our own and then, you know, winning them over and getting the chance to connect with new people that a lot of them were like, wow, we've never heard of you, never heard of your music. And, you know, how can I and lining up to you know get cds and to to be able to sort of meet your fans for the first time is really exciting and for people to start telling you about what it felt like to be in the audience for them yeah that was a really exciting moment yeah 
I've discovered some of my favorite bands that way. You know, once mm, upon a time, you know, I'm sorry. Seeing the openers, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You know, and I've, and man, I've played a million shows with my bands and I've engineered hundreds of shows over the years, maybe more. God only knows. And, you know, you, it's easy to get jaded because there's so many bands and like, especially at the really, really small level, I feel like booking people don't do the best job. Like they're trying to diversify and get like a punk band and a rock band and like a twangy rock band and like a pop band. And that way they can like multiply their audience and get all these different people together you know i feel like they especially less in los angeles they do a poor job of balancing that out like instead of finding three bands that fit really really well together and like try to combine their audiences that way it's like they kind of spread it thin and mm -hmm. shallow instead you know mm -hmm. wide and shallow instead of like deep and <laughs> i don't know I'm, I'm using a strange metaphor to describe this but but it's something i've found like i'll go to see a show and I'll, i i will loathe the opening band because they're so disparate from what mm -hmm. the band I paid to see and but I love it when there's like the symbiosis between these bands mm -hmm. like I'll go see a band and think like holy cow I've never even heard of this band and they're phenomenal and now I'm a fan of theirs you know I've definitely there's been bands where I've seen them I've seen them open up a show and gone out the next day and bought their entire catalog because they were they made yeah, that absolutely. much of an impression on me because that's 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 where Again, that's where the rubber meets the road. You can tweet to your fans. You can Facebook with your fans. But really, when you get in a room with them, they're really living, breathing people who are spending their money to go see you put on a show. You know, and I feel like as artists, we've got some responsibility to them. And yeah, yeah. what, what was um, I felt what was so great about this. This is, is Kiara. It, hello. Is that you? It's true that we we are on the level of not Tom Petty and Bruce Springsteen, where we can go interact with our fans, and it's you know great and fine, and um. What was so cool to me is that I've gone to countless shows where I see the performers and I feel a connection to them and I want to talk to them after, you know, but then they leave or there's no connect. But but when fans were coming up to us and talking to us and just, you know, loving us and saying how impressed they were and how incredible the show was, you know, and, and they just feel such joy telling us that. And I just felt such joy hearing that because I knew exactly where they were coming from because I was like, oh, I've been there too. Like, I've always wanted yeah. to talk to artists, you know? And yeah. I think it's so great when you can really connect with them. Um, and that means so much more than a tweet. Yeah. How is being, this can be for either of you, you're both obviously accomplished musicians, but how has being a successful musician changed you being a fan of music? I mean, I think if anything, I'm a bigger fan of music because I... I've just been discovering, oh, you know, more and more music and getting more into people's live shows and revisiting songs, maybe classic songs that I grew up on and revisiting from the, the context of having a lot of studio experiences myself and stage experiences. What, what yeah. would you say, Kiara? Yeah, I mean, and just, you know, the importance of this is going to sound like a, of buying music and not, you know, ripping it off. Um, yeah. Because... <laughs> we work really hard, you know, and yeah. all musicians do. Yeah, and um, that's one of the things that's changed so drastically yeah. in the past 10 or 15 years is that, you know, uh, you talk to a lot of younger music fans, the idea of buying music is completely alien to them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, iTunes has kind of changed that a little bit, but, I mean, I'm an iTunes artist, and the, the terms aren't all that great. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess they never were in terms of some record labels anyway. But, you know, I, I get a little check every now and again, and I know exactly. I'm selling some stuff. But, but so there's, I mean, it might be, you know, solidifying or codifying a little bit, but like the revenue stream thing mm -hmm. is the thing that's like so unreliable mm -hmm. in the new model, the new new music. And that's another thing, thing that's great about playing a live show because then you can sell CDs right, right after and people will buy them and you can sign them and talk to them about the songs right. on the CD. And, yeah. Um, 
And but lot- you know, the whole the CD thing is with with Spotify now. The whole CD thing is going right. out of style as well. Yeah. Do you do you have any romance attached to like physical product like vinyl or CDs or because different musicians, different people feel differently about this. Yeah. Well, I know I'm an old school kind of a girl. I still, you know, enjoy having a CD to to put in the car. I I like still, you know, actually like read books as opposed to doing that on a, a nook or right, um, you know, or something like that. I mean, I still write songs using a cassette like recorder. Yeah. Because I I love, I just love how it feels, how it sounds, the ease of it, and that's something that I, you know, carry around with me. And it's funny because in a lot of different, you know, settings with kind of like the young, hot producers and artists, they'll look at that and be like, oh my gosh, I have one of those too. So it's, you know, and people are interested in vinyl these days. So it's almost like a throwback of in modern times wanting to like go back and, you know, open up an album and see the artwork and yeah. live it in that way. I've got a band they're called Whispering Pines. Uh, they're going to be on the show in the next couple of weeks here and they're just vinyl devotees. And for them it's just through and through. Like it's not just listening on vinyl when they went to record their album. You know, it's so easy to do this on Pro Tools now and it's mm-hmm. great. Pro Tools sounds fantastic and it's easier. It's made it really accessible for a lot of musicians. But uh, they spent the money to do it on analog two-inch tape, which is really expensive now. You know, it's a really aesthetic, and you have to have an engineer, and excuse me, an engineer who knows what they're doing to do it that way, um, because it takes more. Uh, there's technical limitations of two-inch tape that you can work with or against, and they really have to know what they're doing to work with two-inch tape. So I, I can't wait to hear what they're going to be all about. They're, they're fantastic. I mean, at the same time, I think it's amazing to have the different options that we have these days to connect with artists. Like, for example, I love the band Metric. And so I'll go to iTunes, listen to their music, and then I go right to YouTube and find, you know, radio interviews that they've done or performances and and snippets here and there. And within a very short amount of time, I feel like I have a strong connection with them and with their music and where they come from. And that's, that's just a cool thing that... YouTube and the internet enables you yeah. to do. Yeah, well, that's it's, it's blown it wide open. There are so many more opportunities. Now, why don't we get ready to play another tune here? Because I'm going to just tell a little a little story about how things have changed so drastically. Like, when I was a kid coming up with music, I mean, the only way, um, you know, the only way that you found out about, jeez, um, the only way that you found out about, like, your new band was to go to the hosehead who worked at their local record store. You know, and, like, they, they may or may not know when the new you know, Sex Pistols record is coming out or whatever's coming out. But that was like the only way to figure out what was going on. Like Rolling Stone magazine, you know, this is before even cable TV. I sound like a dinosaur when I'm talking about this. But like to find out about your favorite new band, like you had to read it in a trade rag, a music a music magazine of some kind, or go to the guy. Like that was that was the point. He was the guy that was like the tip of the spear for the entire music industry for you. Like your record store guy in your town. And if if you were lucky, it was like an independent store and they really cared and they really knew. And they would have a chalkboard, they would put up the new releases and when they were coming out. Like you didn't find out like like bands didn't broadcast when they were in the studio live on the internet. There was there was no such there's no way to do it. You know, things have changed so drastically. So uh, it's it's not that it's all good or all bad. It's just it's different. All the way around. Anyway. I feel like it's, I I heard a quote recently that I love, and it's, remember the past, live in the present, trust the future. And I feel like, you know, that's really relevant to what we're talking about with music. Yeah. So why don't you play us another song? What is this going to be? 
This song is called Sweet 17, and I know you mentioned Roy Bitten earlier. Roy actually played on this recording. He played this haunting organ solo, which you'll hear Kiara play on on the viola, very hauntingly. (laughs) And this was a record produced by Tom Panunzio, who we talked about earlier. This is is Kiara playing Bitten. This is a song about, um, you know, looking back on falling in love for the first time. Cool.
Laura Warshower on Independence Day. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Joe Armstrong. I come to you every week here from beautiful Pasadena, California. You can learn everything you need to know, or at least everything she wants you to know, at laurawmusic.com. Also, you've got that pretty much all across the Internet platforms. You've got the Laura W. Music on the Twitters. You've got Laura, Laura W. Music on the Facebooks and on the MySpaces and all that kind of stuff. So Laura you're, W. Music you're, everywhere. You're a unified front. Yes. We know where to find you. <laughs> In any case, so uh, and that's that's a newer song. That you know, actually, that song I wrote a few years okay. ago, and it's one of those like we were talking about earlier, where it sort of means you know different things for me at different times in my life. And I was lucky to get the opportunity to work with Tom Panunzio and to work with to hear Roy Bitten, you know, so beautifully encapsulate the emotion of the song when he just played it live in one pass, and I was you know standing there in, in his home studio. And was just like, wow, this this person is bringing the years of rocking stadiums with Bruce Springsteen. You know, since 1974, he's bringing that magic and that emotion to my song right now. And that yeah. was it was it was very humbling. That's a cool feeling. I bet someday maybe <laughs> happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> happens to me all the time. <laughs> you know, I go to I go to In and Out Burger, and you know who's back there making my burger? But you know, like. Uh, it's Alice Cooper making yeah. my burger back there. I get a little piece of him, Alice Cooper, after years of, of all the stages and snakes making my burger. Suddenly, there's that double-double animal style. Oh, man. I go. D- I book both kinds of onions. That's my that's my thing. Wait, so, so what's that called? Try it. I don't know that there's a name for it. I just uh, Maybe we'll call it the Armstrong. Well, see, Kiara is a vegetarian. <laughs> so Kiara, we've had this discussion a number of times. She didn't get the full in-and-out experience because pretty much she got a bun with animal right. sauce and lettuce. And some cheese, maybe? It was disgusting. No, <laughs> Did no you, cheese. You didn't do the grilled cheese? They do a grilled cheese, you know. See, I, I wasn't aware of this. We were in a very, very long line of cars. Okay. And some guy came around. Yeah, you know, yeah. I will say that I've heard... That In-N-Out burgers are amazing, so I'm not knocking the burgers. I don't eat them, but I'm not knocking them. And I also have heard that the company is very good and, <laughs> you know, all local or something beef, which I fully support if you're going to eat meat. So um, so good for them. But they need to work on their veggie burgers. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't. Well, that's just it. They don't actually have a veggie well, burger. Well, they should. What, what you should have is the – well, maybe they should. What I like is the elegant simplicity of their menu. Sure, of course. You know, Understood. they don't have like fish stuff and chicken nugget this nonsense. Like it's it's very it's very elemental, mm-hmm. and I like that because I get menu overload very sure. very easily. Like if there's more we than four choices on a menu, I, I can I never too. decide. Mm-hmm. Again, I probably I probably pissed off every girl I've ever dated because it'll take me half an hour to pick. Mm-hmm. Like the worst of all is Cheesecake Factory. How could you possibly decide from like seven hundred items on the menu? Their menu is seventy pages long. It's absurd. And it's not even very good. Because, no, 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 no. Because people who it's proclaim really to do not. everything don't do any one thing very yes, well. Yes, true. Ooh. That's my We're opinion. touching upon a pretty big subject here. We certainly are. <laughs> Except, <laughs> you know, you, you do disagree? No, what about, what are we talking about? Cheesecake Factory? People who do menu. many things, people who proclaim to do many yeah. things seldom do any one thing very well. Well, I was having this conversation the other day with uh, with my producer, PJ, actually. And, and we were saying, like, it's you know, you want to be, like, great. You'd rather be great at, like, one thing as opposed right. to, like, kind of okay at, like, a bunch of things. So I feel like I feel like mm-hmm. we're all dancing around the same subject. The Renaissance 
like man concept is mm. is lost a little bit. Like the jack of all trades. Really, you're a Renaissance a... man. We're an, oh, I'm sorry. You're a Renaissance. Oh, very man. much so. That's why I'm so out of date. <laughs> I'm hopelessly out of you're date. You're bringing the Renaissance man, you know, thing back. Well, I'm trying. You know, that's just it. Like, who else? I mean, I I feel out of place in my time sometimes because it's like I do radio. I like. I, I do this hiking thing. You've played like 90 I, instruments? I play like 90 instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, I can build a house. I Whoa. can. So you can't choose in your life either, yeah? No, not at oh, all. Okay. So I can't do any one thing very well, is what I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, I've undermined no, I my own point. No, but case. I think like you're have a pretty, like, you know. No, I, I mean, I'm Maybe feeling, we should go I'm for feeling this radio then. show right now. Yeah. You have a yeah. pretty amazing radio show. Oh, yeah. that's very nice of you to say. Very well, we're, very we're excited. Well, I'm, I'm elated to have you. It's the Mutual Admiration Society. All right. I like that. In unison. All right. Two ladies, two beautiful women. In unison. All right. In agreement. I got two women to agree with me on something. (laughs) I'd like the world to know that I got one woman to agree with me on something in the world history. Just so we can paint the picture, Kiara and I, Mm -hmm. like, we both both have our thing and our vibe and our looks today. We are both rocking the long black dress. There'll be pictures. We'll take pictures and put them on the website. Sure. Don't worry. It's it's very important. Rock and roll is a visual idiom. Yeah. The look is very important. Like people mm-hmm. who I think when I was in Chicago, I didn't I didn't believe in that quite as much because like Chicago, like you're you're kind of it's a working city. You know, you don't really like people who dress up are perceived as being more pretentious in a, in a city like mm. Chicago. Hmm. You know, like also I in Boston, I wear sunglasses out here that I bought in Chicago for a Hunter S. Thompson Halloween costume that I would never wear on a day to day basis in the city of Chicago. Mm. But now so that I live in Los, right they're sitting right here. Now that I live in Los Angeles, <laughs> like I can totally wear these. Anyway, anytime I want. I mean, you probably sleep in those, and you get up in the morning, you go get your coffee, you're in those. Like, people think, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, that's totally normal here. Anything goes here. You're recovering from the night before because you're wearing sunglasses, which is cool. In and out burger for the second time in 12 hours. One a.m. and for lunch the next day. Anyway, I'm 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 this I'm playing this up. I don't actually go to In-N-Out Burger nearly as much as I, I like to say mm-hmm. I do, but it's a California icon, so we're gonna reference it. Maybe we'll get a sponsorship from them someday. Oh yeah, awesome. Only when they have veggie burgers. On your behalf, I hope they do have a veggie oh, burger. But try you. the grilled cheese. I've had I've dated uh, vegetarian girls, and they they got the grilled <laughs> cheese, and they found it to be respectable. I, I'm okay. getting a sense that you've dated some pretty interesting women. <laughs> we'll talk about this after the show. Ooh. We can. Ooh. We'll, I mean, we'll, now's a good time. <laughs> How's now? No, not so much. <laughs> Look, they're they're all very nice. May they all rest in peace. Oh, <laughs> I kid, I kid. They're wonderful people. They're absolutely, absolutely wonderful Maybe people. They're most in of, right them, now of the show. most of them. They could be. They could, which is why I don't want to talk about it right now. Okay, cool. We'll talk, talk about it after the show. Great. Let's talk about you. Not enough Let's. about me. Well, enough. we really like almonds. We brought yeah. some almonds. Almonds are great. Today. We have some almonds here. Mm-hmm. But yes. what I what I really want to talk about is this. You've, you've got this thing where you've worked with different producers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm going to play just a little bit of a song. This is a song called Dream Sequence. This is a different producer from the track we played before, The Running from Grace. Yes. Who who so so first of all, who produced this this Dream Sequence song? And tell me how it's different. Like working with this producer. Tell me how it's different from that first producer. Great. This producer, he's amazing. His name is Blue. Um, he's actually a, a very successful artist as well. And He's the man responsible for Laura and I knowing each other. Okay. Yes. So, so Go him. We have, um, go Blue. We have a, a lot of love for Blue mm-hmm. in this room. And making this song was an incredible process with him because it was a brand new song for me. I was really excited about it. I had a clear vision of what I was looking for from the production. And... We, you know, connected on kind of what my vision was before I went in the studio. I went in and Blue's the type of musician and producer where the first thing he plays, it just like kind of sends like that like tingle down the spine and 
um, I'd written the song on guitar and then he went and played something on the piano or, you know, with some affected keyboard sound. And right away I was just like, that's, that's totally it. And we just kind of chased that. And I had a sense for, you know, a powerful electronica driven you right. know, drum beat. And I asked for this like grand intro and he just, um, he's like the magic man, you know, suddenly like time is elapsing and, and what's coming out of the speakers, you're, you're, as you're sitting in the room, you're like, where is this even, how is this even happening? Yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. That just happened is the kind of thing. I was thinking of Will Ferrell when I do that, when I experience <laughs> those kind of things. And so. this was something, I'm a very, um, like, visual person and Kiara knows like when I'm talking about songs I'm sort of painting the picture or talking about the experience or the feeling behind the song and and how I want the music to then feel as opposed to like talking in you know in chords or keys right and I think with blue I was able to like really communicate you know a sense of what the song was about yeah. and, and I'm sitting there being like wow you know you'll hear on this recording there's cathedral bells that you know are like London cathedral bells that yeah. start off the the recording and I'm like oh I feel like I'm in some Garrett apartment in yeah. Paris with the window open and the moonlit sky and it's a song I found myself writing a lot of songs about what happens when relationships dissolve and this is one of the songs I wouldn't songs. know anything about that <laughs> <laughs> this is a song about you know when you're apart and you decide you should actually be together okay and that that coming back together I wouldn't know anything about that either so it's, called, it's called dream sequence I want to make things right okay dream sequence so we're going to play a little bit of this but then I want we're going to kind of talk over it a little bit because I want you to tell me about it while it's yeah. happening so let's play a little bit this is Laura Warshower's dream sequence That's a nice chorus. Thank you. Choruses are so important. Choruses and bridges. I'm a fan of choruses. Mm -hmm. Are you a fan of bridges? I'm a fan of bridges, too. I love bridges. You know, the Beatles called them middle eight. The middle eight. Ooh. So, so maybe you should, you should adopt that. You can call them middle eights, even if they're not eight bars. But well, as a writer, I, I found that I would very sort of easily come up with the verses and the choruses, and I'd be like, oh, song's done. I've got a verse. I've got a chorus. Then, like, when I'm walking around town, I come up with the lyrics of the second verse and then I'm like I'm home free and then for a while for the bridge was like oh just like let's not mess it up right. you know because I've already got the song but now I'm really embracing like the bridge is such an opportunity to take it to yet another level and really yeah. like bring home and drive home the point of the whole song yeah how much are you like you've worked with all these different producers and we're going to hear from a third one yet here in just a minute but like how involved are you in the mechanics of like you know you know verse chorus bridge you know these you know a b structure whatever like when you're working with a producer you know do you come in with like a fully formed song 
excuse me, or a pretty fully formed song? And then how much, how malleable are there or, or how malleable do you allow them to be with the producer? I guess is the question I'm asking. Well, I really, you know, I make an effort to get in the room with people that I really respect. And so I love to hear what it is that they want to bring to the song and to the music. So I, I'm definitely a really, you know, open spirit and personality. For the most part, I come in with a song that I've written on the guitar and then, the producer is helping me to, to bring that song, you know, to, to that sort of arena experience that I have in my head and sonically, you know, take it there and, and envision kind of, you know, what I'm seeing with the, with the live show and, and just sounds that I'm, that yeah. I'm inspired by, the, the, that the producer's inspired by. And it's been an exciting collaborative process recently yeah. with PJ Bianco, you know, going in and actually writing a song from the ground up mm -hmm. and producing it simultaneously right. and sort of, you know, everything all at once. I think for the most part, if I've learned anything being in music, I dive in the deep end and, you know, see what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if you'll indulge me. The song is Dream Sequence. We just heard what it's, it sounds like, the recorded version. Can you show me maybe on the guitar just a little bit? Just We don't even have to go over by the other thing. Just kind of just show me a little bit of how that song started. I'm kind of curious. Sure. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be the same key. I'm just kind of curious to see, like, just a couple seconds. Um, I love it. Kiara and I, um, it's, I'm like, feel like I'm revisiting an old friend. Um, so what I do is just, you know, go to my sort of favorite couple of chords on the guitar as I'm sitting there, not really thinking about anything in particular, and just, I hear, like, melodies in my head and just sort of start singing them over the chords mm -hmm. and you sing gibberish like when you're starting to get a line together you know it's funny how very quickly actual lines materialize like lyrics and melodies will will come together and then I myself it's almost like a key into my own subconscious of like oh I guess that maybe affected me more than I thought it did or oh okay I guess I'm writing about this um, so like with dream sequence it's like Never sleep, bed is warm, room is dark, the floor is cold. So I hurriedly tiptoe, I tiptoe, the phone rings like a dream sequence. I yeah. pick it up to say hello. So it's just a skeleton, like yeah. you and your voice, just the melody and the guitar. And that's that's how that's how it originates. And, and then and then very quickly and then you on the other night saying you're missing me. Tell me the nights are too long now And the mornings feel empty Yeah. And very quickly you can get these soaring melodies over this, you know, skeleton of chords and a sense in your head of a, a much, you know, bigger production that, you know, that can be, that can come out of this, the song. Yeah. So let's hear another one. Is this is a, another producer you've worked with? This is a song called "Impossible." This is tell me about this producer and like how. So now we're on a third producer and like, yes. and we're, these are all geographically different places too, right? Well, the first two producers were both in Los Angeles, okay. and this third producer was actually in Nashville. His name is Marshall Altman. Okay. And you know, again, it really marks the evolution and the sort of process that I've been on as an as an artist, as a songwriter. Um, you know, as a recording artist, that's a constant discovery process. 
And it was exciting for me to get to go to Nashville and spend time there okay. and work in a different setting, you know, with a different producer. Everyone has their right. own way of working. Right. And this was a song that I had written a number of years ago and then was able to sort of re-envision in the studio with him and his sensibility okay. and... That's how it came about. Let's give it a little bit of a listen. We'll do the same thing with this one. We'll play some, and we'll come back and talk about it just a little bit while it's going, because I want to get as much of this in as we can. This is Laura Warshower's track, Impossible. Brand new track. This will be released at some point, someday, some way, correct? Absolutely. Okay, but for now, this is this is this also a world premiere on this, too? or is This is this, this is a world premiere of this, yes. Cool. All right. Well, we like to do that kind of thing. So this is the track, Impossible, or as I like to say, Impossible. impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Laura Warshower in Independence Day. Dust off ambitions like an old dusty shelf that is waiting to be cleared. Throw out the antiques, get yourself some new dreams. What good are broken wings anyway? Okay, so that's the track Impossible, and this was done in Nashville. I mean, did anything else about Nashville like have an effect? Because it doesn't sound, when I think of Nashville, that doesn't sound anything like I would imagine coming out of Nashville. Now, they make all kinds of music in Nashville. I've been there, played there, recorded there, done tons of things there. But w did anything make it in there other than just being there? Well, I think that that really speaks to the producer, because Marshall someone who was you know, born in New York, was living in Los Angeles for a long time and producing in LA and had recently moved to Nashville, okay. which speaks to a whole pop rock movement that's now, you know, in that city. Right. So it was, you know, exciting for me to be inspired by a different city to get to work with some musicians that are, you know, based out of Nashville. Right. But again, it was more, it wasn't about me sort of refining my, you know, sound or identity by, by what Nashville is known for. It's about, right. you know, me sort of working with a new group of people and a new producer. What time of year were you there? I'm curious. I was there at two different times. Um, most, well, I was actually there more recently for an experience with music supervisors, but with Marshall, I was recording in December. Okay. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of brown. <laughs> Nashville's brown because I mean I have relatives in the southeast not too far from there so it's like the seasons are very different everywhere you go like LA even LA has seasons believe it or not yeah. they're just way more subtle I know you're giving me uh, you're giving me uh, <laughs> a very strange look Kiara's giving me a very strange look but it's true there are seasons here they're just more subtle or like seasons happen like this morning when I woke up and it was kind of cloudy and a little like cool mm -hmm. I mean this lasts for about 10 minutes but I was like, ooh, this kind of reminds me of the East Coast a little bit. There's like, yeah. you have, I have moments here and there where I get hints of like, ooh, this reminds me of like my favorite season on the East Coast, yeah. or this is the sensibility, or, you know, uh, the rainy day. Um, I see my manager, Scott Ross, um, is sitting out there in the, in the control room, and Scott and I talk about how we like the rainy days because it, right. it reminds us of, of the East Coast. Loudon Wainwright, Gray in L.A. 
check it out. He talks about how he loves it when it's gray and it's raining in Los Angeles because it's it's people people change. It's different. They can't. They drive terribly here when it rains, though. I don't even want to talk about that. Well, Johnny, people just cancel appointments. They don't drive. They're just like, up. Oh, it's drizzling. Oh no, they definitely drive because I run into all of them when it rains. They're all out there on the road, keeping, <laughs> not getting out of my way. I'm from the east. I can drive in rain. These people, I love you all, but you can't drive in rain. I think the place that I like to stay away from, especially when it's rainy, is. Laurel Canyon. Yeah. Oof. And also, like, I love Laurel Canyon, like, love the romance of it. But at night, like, I kind of like to go slowly on Laurel Canyon, you know, because it's, like, really windy. Uh-huh. And then cars can come, like, really fast the other way. And you find you get that person who's, like, right behind it's you. It's probably like... Jack Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Jack Nicholson's driver? Well, no, he drives. My friend saw him driving around in a Mustang a few years ago. Top down, 7 o'clock in the morning. He was probably kind of his way home. Yeah. I would guess. Probably. Knowing Nicholson. Seven God bless knowing, Jack, Nick, knowing Nicholson. God that's, bless Jack Nicholson. That's early for him to be on his way home. That's what I mean. He probably had to be home early for like a dentist appointment or mm-hmm. something. Exactly. Yeah. I I'm, I'm not even going to give you my Nicholson impression because it's not that good. <laughs> anyway, so you've, you've worked with all these different these different producers. Now you're in Los Angeles. And I'd, actually, I'd like you guys to play another song if that's cool. So if you kind of mosey over to our, our sound stage here. Um, and people, like I said, people can learn about you, laurawmusic.com and MySpace and all those other kinds of things. It's a good place to find you. You can learn about us, as always, indepthday.com on the Twitter. And we broadcast live here from Pasadena every Wednesday night. So tell me a little bit about what this song is going to be. This song is called Black Crow, and it's a bit more of an intimate song than the other ones that we've performed. And this one just kind of brings me back to New York City, actually, in this little apartment I was living on. Uh, it was 57th Street between 9th and 10th, and, you know, the exposed brick walls, and I had this cubby hole of a room with a, a loft, you know, so I could barely have room to stand up. And I remember sitting kind of, you know, probably in the middle of winter, um, somehow managing to be right in front of the mirror, and that's how this song started coming out. But New York is good for songs. I wrote a lot of great songs when I was living in New York. You know, there's just that energy, you know, Definitely. like nowhere else. Well, it was cool. this particular apartment was cool because you're, I mean, 57th Street is, is really busy. And then somehow this apartment was like tucked away. It was on the first floor, but it was tucked in the back and there was like a little courtyard in the back. So you had your own private world within New York City, mm-hmm. which in and of itself had this very cozy, comforting feeling. Cool. Well, I want to hear this. What's this all about? Let's, let's hear it. This is called Black Crow. You don't know me anymore I'm like a stranger in our home You're a weary traveler passing through When have you fallen out of love? Left me hovering above Somewhere between the sky and green Who am I to say something has to change here? Who are you to remain silent as the falling snow? The black crow flies over you and I. The black crow flies. Over you and I 
Light beams running through the sky Like fireworks and fireflies Swimming in the summertime Could be paradise But you don't know me anymore This is a house but not a home Even with you I'm alone Who am I to say Something has to change here Who are you to remain Silent as the falling snow The black crow flies Over you and I The black crow flies Over you and I Very, very nice, Laura. You too, PR. That's fantastic. I like what you do. Thank you so much. I like what you do, Joe. Big, big voice for diminutive stature. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's you see that a lot, I think, in music. Like I've, they've met a lot of like I knew this girl in Chicago, little teeny tiny girl, but man, she was like, she sounded like a whole gospel choir all by herself. I think there might be a little bit of the Napoleon complex in rock yeah. and roll, you know. Yeah, acting too. I think in, in performing in general. I see a lot of short people on yeah. stage. Tom uh, Tom Cruise is a little guy. A lot of short short people who are also middle children, which I okay. am a middle child as well. So What's your sign? Capricorn. Okay, I know nothing about Capricorn. And I'm not even sure I believe in that stuff, but I'm kind of curious. I'm not sure I know much about Capricorns either. <laughs> <laughs> know thyself, right? <laughs> Well, there's just a couple more things. We just got a few minutes left, but there's a few things like a little. I'm I'm really really curious about based on your experience. Like like and and one thing I'll say, um, I've been listening to you perform now for the last hour or so, and I finally got it nailed. What your voice sounds so much like to me. Do you know who Sam Phillips is? I've heard of Sam Phillips. She is the ex-wife of the producer and musician T-Bone Burnett. Oh. Uh, she had her own career. She still has her own career, but she's done background singing. She's been on. Um, She's on the, the second Wallflowers record. She did a bunch of background singing work. I think she sang maybe with Counting Crows. But she's she's been around for a long time. T-Bone Burnett, of course, the world-famous producer, uh, has produced countless amazing artists. So your voice is, reminds me of that a lot. And that's a really, really wonderful thing because it's such a unique... Her instrument is very unique, as is yours. You Thank know, it's, you. it's kind of like reedy in a way, but but that's not a bad thing in any way. It's just a, it's a, like it's a cool thing. Unique voices are my thing, man. I love like Tom Waits, Steve Verrill, Bob Dylan, like their voices that are... 
are kind of a little twisted. Yours is not twisted, but oh, no, I like the ones that twisted. are so, so unique. I love that. Thank you In a so good much. way. You need, you need to stand out. Um, and you do. Um, so in other words, tell me a little bit about the Holly Award. Like, what was that all about? That was really exciting. Um, the Songwriters Hall of Fame and, and Songmasters, I was recommended by BMI. So all these companies that are, you know, just incredible and historic and was given the Holly Prize. And it was, you know, exciting to be the first ever recipient. It's something I feel a responsibility, you know, to, to live up to. Set the bar pretty high. Set the bar pretty high. Um, and the, the coolest thing was I got to be a part of this PBS special where I was recognized by Peter Asher, you know, in the middle of this event because he was talking all about Buddy Holly and what Buddy Holly stood for. Even though he unfortunately passed away when he was very young, he was all about the development of young talent, even though he himself was very young. So it was exciting for, you know, Peter Asher to have me stand up amongst, um, you know, a crowd of people that I really respect. And that was that was a great moment. And then I got to go up on stage and sing the finale. We sang Buddy Holly's song, That'll Be the Day. And I was flanked by Lyle Lovett and Graham Nash and Sean Colvin and Paul Anka and, you know, Michelle Branch and the list goes on and on and on. And it was, you know, just an amazing moment to step on that stage and get to sing with a lot of my own heroes. And earlier that day, having gotten on that stage to rehearse the song, it was a very surreal moment. You know, suddenly Lyle's yeah. reaching out his hand, hi, I'm Lyle, and, you know, Michelle Branch, the same thing. And I was singing in Lyle Lovett's ear, giving him the words to the song because he was, he, yeah. at the last minute, got a solo, you know, in this finale. He's amazing. I mean, just the most humble, lovely guy. And when I walked to the side of the stage for the finale that night he's motioning me over to go over those lines again and he was like so tell me about the holly prize and i'm really interested to hear your music so it was just you know an amazing moment and i kept having to say in my head like this is you know this is really happening yeah yeah it's always nice to hear you know people that you you think you respect or think you know because musicians and are actors performers that we we think we know and love and then when you finally meet them to find out that they're like a cool person is just icing on the cake mm -hmm. You know, and I find that that's the case more often than not because people, a lot of musicians, performers, like they've no, they know the school of hard knocks. They've come through all that stuff. They played the crappy shows and they've done the off, off, off Broadway shows. And the musicians have lived in a van for years. So, like, really, you know, it kind of tests your metal and makes you uh, appreciate what it's like for people who are kind of coming up behind you. And I find that's the case yeah. more often than not. I feel like it's, you know, it's sort of. Um, someone told me, you know, time weeds out the dishonest yeah. in music. And I think that, you know, as I've gone through that, that process, because it is a process and you have to have respect for it. And I find, you know, when, I'm, when things click, you appreciate it that much more. Like yeah. I feel so lucky to be able to play with Kiara after, you know, really it's been a challenge to find the right musicians, the right yeah. band, the right producers, the right, you know, combination of things that's really going to help you click with your audience. Yeah. So it makes it kind of that much sweeter when you when you get those moments to yeah. stand next to Lyle Lovett on stage. Tell me one last thing, like one last little name dropping thing. Tell me about Kenny Aronoff. Like, were you in the room when he was there? I've heard so many amazing stories about that guy. Kenny is just the salt of the earth. Um, again, I'm looking at my manager, Scott Ross, who's here. Scott connected Kenny and myself. Um, Scott, you know, came from Indiana, oh, cool. where Kenny came from. And, and Scott managed Kenny Aronoff um, back in the day. And, you know, Scott had told me before I ever got to meet Kenny, you know, the thing about Kenny, uh, besides his amazing 
you know, drumming. Of course, he he's he does that. But when he walks into a room, he just lights up the room. And his yeah. personality is just like he's really one of a kind and he's so special. And that's what really struck me about him more than anything. He's just this wonderful spirit and personality and like Roy Bitten I was just humbled to have him yeah. be a part of my recordings and I remember a moment you know vividly I was actually at the the Geffen Interscope recording studio and Kenny came in to do percussion on one of my songs and watching him sit with Tom Panunzio so intently listening to the recording and taking down notes and, you know, pulling out his bag of tricks. He, she shows up with, like, a garbage can filled with all these, like, percussive instruments and these unexpected, you know, creative things that he's going to make music on. And I was just like, wow, I'm, like, I want to, you know, soak this all in because I know yeah. that I'm in the presence of someone who's truly great. And that's, it's great to get another story because everything I've ever read about Aronoff is that, you know, there's been sessions because he's, he's done a trillion sessions. Like everyone out there listening doesn't know this, but he's probably, I'm like, he's like Ben Montench from Tom Petty's band. Those two guys are on like 20% of all your albums and you just don't know it. Yes. Because they're that good. You know, the first call list guys and girls, some of them are girls too. And Aronoff, I've read every session he goes into, like if there's, like if this if this track's not working, like he has this preternatural sense of knowing what needs to change to make it snap, make it pop, you know. And he'll just like you described, like he'll come in and and he's like his personality is like a force of nature, like it's this yes. positive energy force where he'll come in and be like, oh, well, all we got to do is like speed it up two clicks and then drop out the drums here and add this here and boom, it's done. And all of a sudden, it's it's just it. Yeah, he's such a life force, and he's you know he's brilliant, and he's just like this kind spirit. And he gave me this incredible advice that I've really taken to heart, and I you know have come back to time and time again, where he's like you know don't worry about kind of what's going on out there, you just focus on you know what you're doing. You put you know you do the hard work, you focus on you know the every day, and then suddenly you look up and. You know, and he and he's like suddenly you look up and you're you know you're a legend, but yeah. he, but it's not your job to be concerned with you know kind of what's happening in the outside world and people's reactions. You you show up and you put the time in and you do the work and the rest takes care of itself. You know, Laura, I think we're going to leave it right there. That's about the best place we could possibly leave this. I think so. I can't thank the both of you enough for coming in here. Chiara, thank you so Anna, much for having Perico, us. Ooh, of well course. Done. Beautiful, beautiful singing, beautiful viola playing. Thank you. Laura Warshower, guitar playing, singing, and uh, I can't wait to hear what's, what you're doing next. I'm going to leave the people out there, but the same way we started this. I think you're on your way. Thank you so you much, know? Joe. I really yeah. appreciate you having, having us. us, Joe. It's absolutely my pleasure. And you can learn about her, laurawmusic.com. Of course, you can learn about us at indepthday.com. Thanks to Laura Warshower and also the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley and Wayne Topinski, also to Valentina Rivera from Lancer Radio. For Independence Day, I'm Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another. What's the matter with the clothes I'm wearing? Can't you tell that your tie's too wide? Maybe I should buy some old tab collars. Welcome back to the age of jive. Where have you been hiding out lately, honey? 